Welcome to the future of the administrative state, where we explore the virtues and vices of administrative power at a time when both right and left fear a growing executive branch. I'm Tony Mills, editor of Real Clear Policy and your host for this podcast. Each week, we explore a different aspect of the administrative state and its political ramifications. Joining me today is Nicholas Bagley, a professor of law at the University of Michigan, where he teaches and writes about administrative law, regulatory theory, and health law. His numerous writings have appeared in such places as the Harvard Law Review, the Columbia Law Review, as well as the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times. Nick, thank you for coming on. Very happy to be here. The administrative state has become an object of criticism today, especially among conservatives. Um, This is a topic uh, we've been discussing a lot lately at Real Clear Policy. I want to ask you a little bit about how you understand the administrative state uh, and and the role that it has to play in, in our system of governance. Sure. Well, I think it's pretty straightforward. You know, we live in a society where we all have different ideas about you know, how to go about living our lives, how to go about running our businesses, and sometimes the decisions we make will have effects on other people, um, sometimes unfortunate effects. And it's up to the government to do what it can to mitigate some of those unfortunate effects. Um, the clearest example of this arises in connection with environmental damage. So you run a factory, and it might be a factory, you know, producing goods that we all wish to consume. We, we like them. We want them to be there. But that factory emits pollution. It um, discharges mercury into the waterways, whatever, right? The government has a role to play in coming out and mitigating that externality, that cost that the factory itself doesn't bear. Beyond that, there are choices that we want to make collectively about how we want to structure and order our lives. And sometimes the market is not going to accommodate the vision that we might have for how we, the public, want to um, proceed, whether that's because the marketplace is too harsh to some people who are participants in that marketplace, whether it's to um, avoid consumer confusion or whether it's to try to help people on the margins to make better choices. You know, I think these are all roles that the administrative and regulatory state might play. And I just add that, you know, there has been a lot of criticism leveled uh, at the administrative state in what I would think of as kind of conservative legal circles. And there is often kind of a high level of abstract verbiage directed at the administrative state in political campaigns. I don't think it follows that the American public is – wringing its hands about the constitutional status of the administrative state or about the need for regulation. I think neither of those things is true. Um, You know, right now we're facing, you know, perhaps the biggest environmental calamity uh, of the past few centuries with climate change, Um, and we just came out of an enormous uh, financial meltdown. That was at least in part a failure of the regulatory apparatus surrounding the financial sector. So I don't think the American public thinks there's no role for regulation. I think, on the other hand, there's always uh, room to reconsider regulations that are on the books, to prune away stupid regulations or unnecessary regulations. Um, but I think the kind of broadsides that you tend to hear in what I would think of as kind of conservative libertarian legal circles, um, they don't track the concerns of day-to-day Americans, I, I don't think, very well. 
I'd like to come back uh, to the the political context and uh, public support for or against the administrative state, as well as some of these constitutional issues. But uh, first, to, to bring this, uh, you know, from the level of abstraction that you were talking about to more concrete issues, uh, one of the uh, topics, one of the areas in which worries about the administrative state um, took a lot took on a lot of bite um, during the Obama years was surrounding the Affordable Care Act. You've written a lot about the Affordable Care Act and health policy and law. Could you talk a little bit about the issues there, specifically the question of whether uh, the Obama administration uh, used its executive power to implement the law that is the Affordable Care Act in ways that may have changed the law or otherwise been unconstitutional? Yeah, so like any statute that is big and complicated, the Affordable Care Act punted a lot of discretionary regulatory and implementation authority to um, the Departments of Human and Health, uh, of Health and Human Services, uh, the Internal Revenue Service, um, the Department of Labor, and, and a bunch of other sort of sub-agencies. Um, and in order to effectuate Congress's goals, you know, the Obama administration had to make thousands and thousands and thousands of mostly arcane, pretty technical decisions. Um, and over the course of the rollout of the Affordable Care Act, there were, of course, unanticipated challenges and difficulties that arose. And uh, when those challenges and difficulties arose, the executive branch didn't have a willing partner in Congress to turn to to try to help fix those problems. Um, Congress was, at that, you know, after 2010, firmly in Republican hands, and they weren't. They were hoping to sabotage the Affordable Care Act in an effort to make it easier to uproot, and they weren't about to help the administration make it work better, um, notwithstanding the potential damage that might cause to people on the ground. So, yeah, at a couple of points during the course of administration, administering the Affordable Care Act, the Obama administration brushed up against and even exceeded uh, its legal authorities, and it did this in a couple of important ways. It delayed certain regulations, um, uh, or sorry, delayed certain regulations that would have um, applied to uh, insurance plans that people wanted to keep and thought they should be able to keep. It delayed the employer mandate. It decided that an appropriation existed to pay certain subsidy money that probably doesn't exist. Um, so, yeah, there were definitely some, some overstepping of limits there, and I think that's unfortunate both for the rule of law and for the Affordable Care Act in the long term. Um, that said, I don't want to lose sight of the bigger picture, which is that in the course of implementing this very complicated statute, the Obama, the Obama administration largely colored between the lines. And, again, you know, whether they were, you know, they exceeded the legal authority in a place or two here or there, I don't think that speaks to the wisdom or lack thereof or the constitutionality or lack thereof of the administrative state writ large. Um, we need agencies to help carry out Congress's desires. There's no world in which we can actually accomplish anything at the federal level if we don't have expert agencies making a whole lot of important kind of below-the-radar decisions. Um, and by and large, the Obama administration carried out that task quite capably. Another way that conservative critics will get at the administrative state is um, looking to the courts as a way to rein in what they see as excessive administrative authority. Uh, So, for example, in in this case of the Affordable Care Act, um, wanting the courts to step in and say uh, agencies shouldn't be doing this, lawmaking authority really rests in the legislature. 
Um, your scholarship has uh, cut against the grain, I think, on a lot of these issues of um, the relationship of the judiciary to the administrative state. Uh, in a recent paper, you talk about a concept which you call uh, remedial restraint. Um, could you talk about that idea and how that fits into this bigger picture? Yeah, so I think that there is an effort, and this is not exclusively, um, you know, not confined to the right, but on both the left and the right, there is a kind of reverence for the courts and the role that they might play in um, helping to uphold legal fidelity uh, in the administrative state and of the, in, in the role that they can play in helping to promote reasoned decision-making. Um, and in my scholarship, I don't really take issue with the big-picture insight that courts have a role to play in, you know, making sure agencies stay within their legal authorities and offer good reasoned explanations for what they do. On the other hand, I think there is an awful lot of opportunism that you see in federal litigation against federal agencies. Um, and I think people are too apt to revere the role that courts can play without thinking about the serious systemic consequences associated with a system in which no administrative decision is final unless and until you get some kind of federal court to pass on it. And I think that's really destructive and unhelpful, um, mostly because I think agencies, by and large, do a pretty good job. And I don't think that, with the, that, that unless there is a pretty darn good reason, courts should be in there interfering or second-guessing. I think they're ill-equipped to do so. They're poorly positioned to do so. They often don't have great information upon which to base their decisions. Um, and so they can end up siding with people who raise complaints that are really pretty insubstantial. And my piece on remedial restraint is saying, look, when you've got a corporation, for example, coming before a court claiming that the agency didn't give it the fullest opportunity to comment on a proposal, it's important to actually try to peel back what happened during the regulatory process. Because very often, if you look closely, it turns out the corporation was deeply involved at every stage of the rulemaking with the agency, and that its crocodile tears about not being able to participate or have its voice heard are really just a sort of uh, tactic to get the courts to set aside the agency action that it dislikes on other grounds altogether. Um, and I think the courts should be less credulous, and I think they should be a little bit more sensitive to the fact that these are hard decisions in difficult uh, in a difficult environment, and that they are really there as, as sort of a a backstop, but not necessarily a um, you know they shouldn't be there. They're harshly reviewing you know mm -hmm. agencies' homework. I mean, their role really is to make sure that agencies are staying you know, within some pretty broad parameters. Put it a different way, you know, I think there's a, there's a hope on both the left and the right that somehow courts will make agencies behave better. It'll actually make them work well. And that's not really what judicial review is good at. Judicial review is good at saying no when an agency wants to do something. Judicial review is really bad at giving agencies the um, tools that it needs to confront a problem. That's really got to be Congress's job. So if you care about the regulatory state and making it function well, I'm not sure why you would revere an institution that is only good at saying no to what that what, what that that regulatory state might do. What is the current way that the courts operate, and 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 why does that not work in your view? 
Yeah, so when courts hear a case, they tend to ask whether the agency has exceeded its legal authority and whether it has acted reasonably, whether it's not, you know, not acted arbitrarily or capriciously. And the courts, if they decide that an agency has acted arbitrarily or if it has contravened the law, they move immediately to the assumption that the proper result is to set aside the agency action. And in fact, under the Administrative Procedure Act, which is the framework statute that governs judicial review of agency action, there's a provision that says, you know, it's true that the presumptive remedy is going to be to set it aside, but you should also take due account of prejudicial error, which is to say, you know, whenever an entity, I'm sorry, an agency has, has pulled together a decision, um, you can often find problems with it, you know, but sometimes they're pretty trivial, right? Sometimes it just hasn't explained itself on a fairly minor point, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't make a difference to the outcome, and everybody knows that. And in those cases, it seems excessive to invalidate the agency action and send it back down to the agency to rethink it. All that does is delay and force the agency to uh, devote its resources to responding to really silly instructions from the courts. So what I say is, look, like what courts should do is examine the substance of what it is that the party before that before the court is complaining about. If the party is complaining that its voice wasn't heard in the regulatory process, well, the courts can examine whether that's in fact true. And the courts can ask the party that's challenging the agency action, well, gosh, you, know, you said you weren't heard during this process. What would you have said if, if the agency had given you more of an opportunity to speak? And if there's no answer to that question, or if the party that is bringing the lawsuit comes up with pretty silly things that it might have said to the agency, I think at that point the proper response is, go home, get out of here. You really aren't complaining about anything meaningful. Um, and I think the courts are much too credulous about claims of injury and much too willing to set aside agency actions in circumstances where the facts just don't warrant it. It seems to me that uh, those who worry about the excess of the administrative state might see this uh, state of affairs as not a bad thing, but actually a good thing because the the, the uh, default is to have uh, the administrative state or federal agencies in particular um, have to do the hard work of justifying what they're up to rather than um, letting them do what they do and then having the courts come in and say no when they're flagrantly out of bounds. You know, I think that the big concern with, you know, letting agencies off easy if they've cut a corner but it doesn't seem to really matter is that they're going to misbehave in the future. And I think lawyers and administrative lawyers in particular are much too apt to assume that judicial review is an, you know, is, 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 I'm sorry, are much too apt to assume that the current level of intensity of judicial review is optimal. Mm -hmm. And much too apt to assume that if you relaxed judicial review a little bit, that agencies are going to just go buck wild. I think there's no evidence to support that at all. And in fact, there are all sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with litigation for agencies to behave well, to solicit feedback on their proposals, to make sure they stay within legal bounds, to offer reasons for what they're doing. And so I think that lawyers look at, you know, and they focus so intently on judicial review that they lose sight of all those other factors. And if you put those other factors back into the mix, you might say, you know, we could let up on agencies. They wouldn't misbehave any more than they do already. And we wouldn't have to say no as often, which just wastes 
time and wastes resources and means that we can't achieve our collective goals. Now, you're absolutely right. If you are a, an opponent of the regulatory state writ large, if you dislike regulation as a matter of faith, then my proposal should scare you, should, should infuriate you, because you prefer a system in which there is some more or less arbitrary entity saying no to federal agencies, sometimes for good reasons and often for bad. But I don't think it's a really good system for us as a democracy to have these federal judges sitting in review of every single agency action and kicking out, you know, not often with very good reason, agency actions that have taken years to develop and that have been looked into very carefully and very thoroughly. So I guess I'm just asking for a little bit of judicial humility and a, re and a recollection that, yes, the executive branch is a co-equal branch. They take their job seriously. Most of the time they do a pretty good job. Um, you know, do they get out of line sometimes? Sure. Is there a role play for courts to keep them in line? Sure. But I think we shouldn't be too apt to assume that the current intensity of judicial review is socially optimal. You're listening to the future of the administrative state. I'm Tony Mills, editor of Real Clear Policy. Today I'm talking with Nick Bagley, professor of law at the University of Michigan and an expert on administrative law and health law. He argues that critiques of the administrative state miss the mark, particularly by overemphasizing the need for judicial review of administrative action. What we really need, Nick thinks, is more judicial humility. It is politically sort of an interesting state of affairs when you know, a few decades ago it tended to be conservatives who were worried uh, about judicial overreach, even in this case of the administrative state, so that uh, courts should be more deferential to agencies as a way of limiting judicial power, and that seems to have gone the other direction, I think, for lots of different reasons. Well, I think, I think you're exactly right, and I think a lot of these arguments about the role that courts should play are politically opportunistic. And I think it's important for people who do this kind of work as scholars to take a step back from the current political moment. You know, I think the notion that courts should exercise restraint is not going to be um, congenial to a lot of people on the left right now, given that President Trump is in office and he is so uh, such an object of scorn and derision uh, from many members of the left. On the other hand, you know, I think it's important that we don't warp administrative law to take into account you know, the particular president that we have at the moment, but think long-term. What's the best kind of approach that we could have toward this regulatory state over time, right? What's the right approach given that, you know, we've got really important social problems to try to fix, and we've got different kinds of institutions out there, federal agencies and courts, um, that have different kinds of aptitudes. Um, I think we, we have to think hard about those questions in a way that is, I think a little less inflected by the exigencies of the current political moment. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm certainly sympathetic with the uh, uh, wanting to maintain principle over the, the the blustery winds of politics, but I do think that they that there is an argument to be made um, that it's not it's not simply opportunism, but that the situation on the ground has changed, and there are people that worry about administrative power uh, having grown uh, to a point where it, it's worrisome, and there need to be checks coming from. Uh, the judiciary or, or elsewhere. And I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about this. Do, do you see, uh, obviously, you, you can, you're conceding that, that there is a role for the judiciary here, but do you think that there's also a need 
uh, for more oversight, uh, perhaps, if not from the judiciary, then perhaps from uh, within the executive branch or from Congress? And, and if not, why? Yeah, no, I think absolutely. Um, look, I think, I think that there is a, a myopia among administrative law scholars, again, to focus so intently on the courts. If there's a big fundamental problem with the administrative state, the courts can't fix it. They aren't well equipped to do so. Again, they can say no episodically to individual agency actions that are challenged before them, but they aren't going to be the saviors of the administrative state if the administrative state is rotten to the core. I happen to think it's not, but I understand the concern that executive power has grown over the years, and I understand, too, the concern that when you have undivided government, that Congress is a recumbent overseer, and that when you have um, divided government, Congress is not always um, an effective overseer, but is instead, you know, attempts to score political points. Um, I think that the problems we have with the regulatory and administrative state are many of the same problems, um, reflect many of the same problems that we see in Congress today. They reflect mm-hmm. a kind of hyperpartisan, polarized politics where people are not, um, you know, attending to questions of principle to the extent that they really ought to. And that's a problem of our democracy. I don't think it's a problem that the courts are well-equipped to solve. Um, mm-hmm. I would hope that a kind of, you know, you, we'd see a redoubling of the kind of professional commitment to expert administration. We'd see a trust for uh, agencies. Uh, we'd see a trust in government, you know, that that also um, – enable the kind of, uh, you know, more vigorous, more open, and more cautious and careful form of oversight, you know, I think I think all of that would be good. I, I, I you know, I, I don't have any grand prescriptions here. I think something is, is, there is something distressing at the moment in our democracy, but I don't think it is that the courts are insufficiently vigilant or anything like that. I think the problems run much deeper. I, I could hazard a guess based on our discussion thus far, but um, I'd like to ask you about your view of uh, Chevron deference, as this has been a topic which has come up a lot in recent discussions about administrative law, and it's something we've been talking a lot about at Real Clear Policy. Uh, could you explain your understanding of that doctrine and whether you think it's important or problematic? Yeah, so the doctrine is pretty straightforward. It says that where an agency administers a statute, and the statute contains an ambiguity or a gap that the agency is presumed to have the power to resolve that ambiguity or fill the gap. And that's so for two big reasons. First, the agency knows a whole lot more about the statutory area, that kind of um, regulatory area that it oversees than the courts do. And so really it ought to be the agencies who resolve the ambiguity, not the courts, because they know – what effect that that decision will have on the regulated community. And the second is that agencies are more accountable than courts. You know, we don't often think of bureaucrats as especially accountable, but you have to remember that bureaucrats work in the executive branch and answer either directly to political appointees who then answer to the president or at least indirectly to individuals who are appointed by the president um, and uh, at least have some sort of political uh, bona fide to them, uh, bona fides to them. So, 
Chevron deference rests on a pretty common sense intuition that if you have to pick between an expert accountable agency, agencies or inexpert unaccountable courts, you really got to pick the agencies. And it rests too on the idea that Congress would prefer that, that when Congress legislates in broad strokes, it's not delegating power to federal courts. What do they know? Delegating power to agencies. Um, there has been a pushback against this. Uh, you know, Justice Gorsuch has brought a lot of attention to the, you know, the way that Chevron deference seems to, in his eyes, shift power from um, courts to executive branch agencies in a way that's constitutionally troubling. I don't see that at all. I think this is a Chevron deference is an accommodation to the very real fact that courts are not well positioned to make these kinds of technical, difficult decisions, and that. The best approach is to back off and give agencies a little bit of room to run. Um, that doesn't mean that agencies should be allowed to flout their authority, but it does mean that courts should um, give them a whole lot of latitude so long as they are not over clearly overstepping their authority. I'd like to talk a little bit about other mechanisms, mechanisms of oversight. Um, so one might accept uh, your argument that the court's are uh, not the best place to look for uh, this kind of oversight of the administrative state. I think that that's an idea that that might be different. People of different political stripes could be receptive to. Um, are there other mechanisms on the books that you think we could use or use better or revitalize? When it comes to oversight and improvement, yeah. I mean, look. I think ultimately our agencies are only as good as the personnel that run them. And I think we have to redouble our focus on attracting good, high-quality people to the government. Um, You know, right now I think it is proven difficult for the Trump administration to staff up at the highest levels. I think that's unfortunate for um, the agencies that lack good, committed, high-ranking officials. I think we should think harder about, you know, how we can make sure that presidents can appoint well-qualified people relatively quickly. I think we should maintain uh, the civil service protections that are in place to make government service something that um, people want to do and aren't afraid that they're going to be fired if there happens to be a change in administration. I think we should consider paying bureaucrats uh, even better than we already do to compete with the private sector, Um, although I know that proposal is unlikely to be uh, welcomed. Um, you know, I think there's an awful lot that you can do at individual agencies to improve management, to streamline, to restructure, um, to think about what's working and what's not. I think it is true that government can be a difficult um, bureaucracy to negotiate and navigate. There are um, definitely, you know, stubborn, hard problems to solve. But I, I, I don't think there's any magic wand solution here. It's really the hard work of at each agency, thinking how it can, you know, work better, more effectively, and doing that really from the inside. It's a question of good management. One of the reasons that I resist the idea that judicial review is going to be all that helpful um, in improving the functioning of the regulatory state is that, you know, courts are terrible managers. Most judges have never been managers before, and even if they were, they're not managers of these institutions, so they don't have the right skill set. And so I think there needs to be a recognition that we got to give agencies the space to make their own decisions, much like we give space to corporations to make their own decisions and other um, institutional actors to, 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 to make decisions without too much fear that someone is going to stomp all over them. 
Something that interested me in your writing was in an earlier uh, paper, you also uh, criticize what you call centralized oversight of the regulatory or administrative state. Could you talk a little bit about the role that the Office of Management and Budget plays uh, in in regulatory oversight and, and what you think could be improved in that area? Yeah, that's a good example of the way that oversight can have pernicious effects and how it could be improved. Um, in the paper, you know, I don't criticize centralized oversight per se, but I do criticize the way in which it's carried out. Um, sure. So right now we've got an entity, the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs within OMB, that reviews agency actions. And one of the things that it does is make sure that agencies are only doing those things that impose, that, that you know, offer greater benefits than the costs that they impose. And to that extent, it's healthy that you ask agencies to really think through whether or not the action that they're undertaking makes sense. You know, if you're going to impose more costs in the economy than benefits you're going to provide, you know, what are you doing and why are you doing it? On the other hand, OIRA is, in its current form, kind of like courts in that it's pretty good at saying no and it's not so good at helping agencies to manage better or helping agencies to think big picture about what it is that they ought to be doing that they're not. So again, instead of, instead of having an institution that's pretty good at saying, I know you want to do X, but we say not X, you really want to have an institution that says, hey, agencies, you know, you're not doing X, and we think X might be a good idea. Could you maybe think about examining X and actually giving them a kind of kick in the butt to actually think about what it is they can do instead of just mm-hmm. saying no to the things they wish to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that kind of imbalance, the kind of asymmetry between saying no to things that they wish to do and not asking them to think hard about what they're not doing, I think that's actually quite pernicious. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we, we need a lot. Few, you know, right now we've got so many institutions that tell agencies no. At what point do we have, you know, how do we institutionalize um, you know, governance mechanisms that force agencies to think hard about new and emerging problems and tackle difficult problems. You know, so often the, the, the problem with the administrative state is not that it does too much, but that really it's, it's, it's not changing or keeping up at the times, that it's doing too little. Um, that doesn't mean that every agency should be out there regulating vigorously at the first hint of something new happening, but there's an awful lot that agencies can and should do to improve their performance. And mm-hmm. when they don't do it, there really ought to be institutions out there that help them. And I don't think OIRA does that. It seems to me that this is one of those areas where, stepping back from the politics, um, there ought to be lots of bipartisan agreement. It seems like uh, wanting to improve the effectiveness efficiency, uh, just the general capabilities of what government functions we have, uh, that should be something that we could agree on. And I think, uh, and I mean that as as a country broadly. Um, But I I also think that um, one of the most powerful critiques of the administrative state out there today, and not necessarily uh, one tied to uh, libertarian or conservative legal thinking, but but the worry that um, there is something uh, undemocratic, perhaps, in the tendency to empower the non-legislative branches of government to effectuate law. Do you Are you sympathetic to that? And 
if not, do you see any way of making the, the, the bureaucratic process itself more democratic as a way to be responsive to those concerns? I'm not at all sympathetic to those concerns. I think it ignores the fact that these broad delegations of authority exist because Congress, a democratically responsive institution, has enacted the delegations. And so we've made a collective decision that the best way to effectuate the collective will is to delegate certain questions to agencies. And those questions about delegation can always be revisited and, in fact, often are revisited. So the claim that agencies are out there exercising powers that, you know, like they shouldn't have to make law, no, no. They're exercising powers that have been delegated to them by Congress. And, you know, black letter administrative law says those are not legislative powers. Those are executive powers. And, yes, they can be quite broad, but it is still the executive branch that is carrying out its own functions by discharging the responsibilities that Congress has given to it. And so I don't have a lot of truck with the underlying um, argument. I just don't see this rogue regulatory state that has slipped democratic control. I think that's a, largely a myth. Now, to the extent that agencies do exercise broad authority and that there are times when they overstep that authority, there's a, definitely a role for courts to play. There's also a role for internal executive branch management of that kind of behavior, and that happens, right? That's mm-hmm. what OLC does. That's what internal general counsel's offices do. They are out there making choices about what the – statutes of Congress has enacted allow, where we see systemic problems with legal adherence, then I think we should be worried. And I think we are seeing more of those concerns arise. And again, I think there's a role for judicial review to play, but I think the problem with that, the reason that we're seeing that, has a whole lot more to do with our dysfunctional politics and the fact that a win for the current president is a loss for the uh, other party that's in Congress. And where that happens, you know, where you have that kind of dynamic, there's going to be a huge temptation on the sitting president to try to go it alone. You know, Mm -hmm. when you get breakdown in Congress, you're going to see more executive branch, kind of greater muscular exertions of authority. But the answer to that is not like, oh, we can just make up for this democratic problem by having more judicial review. That's just not going to work. That's like... It's like the the little boy putting his finger in the dike. It's just not enough. It's too much. It's too little too late. So if you want to fix that problem about agencies overstepping their authority or wielding too much power, well, the answer really is the ballot box and Congress. And I don't think Mm -hmm. the answer lies in amping up judicial review. Mm -hmm. Thinking about the, the political context a little bit more, what do you think we can expect for the future of the administrative state Given the uh, the political situation we're in now, given the current administration, uh, and, and what do you what do you hope for in the coming years? I expect a lot of storm and drong, and I expect at the end of the day that very little on the ground will change. The fact is that you can rail and rant about the administrative state all you want, but people, when you ask them about particular programs or particular things that the government is doing. They, by and large, support those efforts. No one likes red tape. No one likes regulations in the abstract. But if you ask people, do they think that it's important to prevent factories from polluting our rivers, they'll say yes. And ultimately, it's those sort of localized concerns that will win out. You know, I think 
you know, there are going to be some victories both on the libertarian right side and also on the progressive left side. And they're going to, you know, people are going to make a whole lot about, make a whole lot of them. They're going to say they're, you know, either massive victories or massive, you know, steps back. But the fact is the administrative state is here to stay and it's not going away and it's not even being pared back substantially. It's going to continue, continue on much like it's continued on for the past 60, 70, 80 years, probably growing as our society continues to grow in complexity and as we confront new problems that we haven't confronted before. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think it's easy when you're kind of in the midst of these debates to sort of assume that the fate of the administrative state is, is at stake. And really, nothing could be further from the truth. These are academic debates, by and large. I think there is uh, very little risk those academic debates are going to upset the long-term trajectory of the regulatory state. I think that's a, a perfect note for us to end on given the, the topic of this podcast, the future of the administrative state. But I just want to thank you for coming on the show and taking the time to share your insights. Very happy to do it, and thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening. I'm Tony Mills, editor of Real Clear Policy and your host for this podcast. Joining me next week is Elaine Kmark, Senior Fellow and Director of the Center for Effective Public Management at the Brookings Institution and a lecturer in public policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. A founder of the New Democrat movement that helped elect Bill Clinton, Elaine also created and managed the Clinton administration's National Performance Review. She makes a case for reforming the administrative state.